Frequently, we sing the hymn, Come, listen to a prophet's voice, and hear the word of God. Today, we have listened to the voice of a prophet, President Spencer W. Kimball, as he has proclaimed the word of God. Humbly and prayerfully, I speak to you from the crossroads of the West. For Salt Lake City really is a crossroads, a mecca for tourists from all parts of the globe. Thousands throng to the ski slopes of Brighton and Alta each winter, and each summer our parks of Zions and Bryce host thousands more. An attraction, however, for all seasons is Temple Square in Salt Lake City, with its historic tabernacle, lofty-spired temple, and beautiful visitor center which bids a warm welcome to all. Situated not far from here, a little bit off the beaten path, away from the crowd, is another very famous square. Here, in a quiet fashion, motivated by a Christ-like love, the elderly, the handicapped, the needy, and others serve after the manner of the Lord. I speak of Welfare Square, otherwise known as the Bishop's Storehouse. At this location and hosts of other sites throughout the world, fruits and vegetables are canned, commodities are processed, stored, and distributed. There is no sign of government dole. There is no exchange of currency, for here, only the signed order of an ordained bishop is honored. Journalists are surprised and pleased with the welfare program of the Church and write glowingly of a people who take justifiable pride in caring for their own. Frequently, the visitors will ask three fundamental questions. First. How does this welfare plan operate? Second, how is it financed? And third, what prompts such devotion on the part of every worker? Over the years, it has been my pleasant opportunity to respond frequently to these questions. To the first, how does the welfare plan operate? I usually mention that back during the period of 1950 to 1955, I had the opportunity to serve as a bishop over a congregation of perhaps 1,050 members situated in the central part of Salt Lake City. In that congregation were 86 widows and upwards of 40 families who at some time or to some degree required welfare assistance. Each year, I and bishops all over the Church would compile a commodity requirement budget that the needs of our people might be met. Then these budgets were tallied and approved and specific assignments given to various units of the Church to produce that which our people needed. In one area, for example, potatoes would be produced, in another oranges, another poultry, another beef, all that the storehouses might be filled according to the word of the Lord, who said, the storehouses shall be kept by the consecrations of the Church, and the widows 
and the orphan shall be provided for, as also the poor. In the area where I lived and served, we operated a poultry project. For the most part, it was efficiently operated, providing thousands of dozens of fresh eggs and hundreds of pounds of dressed poultry to the storehouses each year. <coughs> However, there were those occasions when being city farmers on a volunteer basis brought not only blisters to the hands, but frustrations to the heart. How well I remember the time that we gathered our young men at the poultry project. We were going to give it a real house cleaning. With vigor and with vim, we uprooted weeds and stacked them in large piles and then set them ablaze. And by the glow of the fire, we sang songs. We roasted hot dogs and generally complimented ourselves on a job well done. The project was now neat and tidy. However, there was just one disastrous problem. The noise that we had created and the fires which we had built had so disturbed the fragile and delicate population of 5,000 laying hens that they went into a sudden molt and ceased laying. <laughs> From that time forward, we tolerated a few weeds that we might produce more eggs. Actually, no one who has ever shelled peas or thinned beets or hauled hay or shoveled coal in this program has ever regretted or forgotten the experience. But labor alone has never been enough, for this program operates through faith after the way of the Lord. Actually, sharing with others that which we have is not new to this generation we need but turn to the account found in 1 Kings in the Holy Bible and relive the experience of Elijah. You'll remember that a great and terrible drought gripped the land. Famine followed, and Elijah received from the Lord the curious instruction, Get thee to Zarephath, for I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And when Elijah found the widow woman, he said unto her, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a cruse that I might drink, and bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. Her reply indicated her desperate plight. She explained that she was in the process of preparing for her and for her son a final and scanty meal, and then they would die. How implausible to her must have been Elijah's response when he said, Go and do as thou hast said, but make for me first a little cake, and then make for thee and for thy son. For as the Lord God of Israel liveth, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did, according to the saying of the Lord to Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail. Such has always been the faith which has undergirded the welfare program of the Lord. In response to the second question, how is this program financed? One needs but discuss the fast offering <coughs> principle. It was the prophet Isaiah who described the true fast when he asked, 
Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, that thou takest the poor to thine house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? And then the promise, Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily. Thou shalt call, and the Lord shall answer, Here I am, and the Lord shall guide thee continually, and thou shalt be as a watered garden, even a spring of water whose waters faileth not. Guided by this principle, Latter-day Saints all over the world fast one Sunday each month and contribute the equivalent of the two meals forfeited and generally many times more to a sacred fast offering fund which is used to maintain the storehouses and to provide the cash needs of the poor. In the area where I lived, we followed the practice of all others of having our young boys who were deacons call at the homes of the members early on the Sabbath morning to receive their offering. One Sunday morning, the young lads assembled a bit disheveled, sleepy-eyed, mildly complaining about having to get up so early. Not a word of reproof was spoken, but later in the week, we took them on a personally escorted tour of Welfare Square. Here, firsthand, they saw a lovely crippled girl efficiently operating the telephone switchboard, older men stocking shelves, women preparing clothing for distribution, even a blind person placing labels on cans of fruit. They saw people earning their sustenance through their own labors. A penetrating silence came over those boys as they realized now that they were not simply distributing and gathering envelopes. No, they realized that they were providing food for the hungry, shelter for the homeless, and work for those who would otherwise be idle. They now understood, inasmuch as ye have done it, unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. For the third and final question, what prompts such devotion on the part of every worker? I have responded, an abiding testimony in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and an overwhelming desire to love the Lord, one's God, with all one's heart, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This love can be demonstrated by a recent experience. Situated below the freeway which girds Salt Lake City, there lives a 60-year-old single man. Due to a crippling disease of childhood, he has rarely known a day without pain and few days without loneliness. I visited my friend on one occasion and noted that he was extremely slow in answering the doorbell's ring. As I opened the door, I found that in his home, save but it be in one room, the temperature was a chilly 45 degrees. The reason? Insufficient money to heat the home. I looked around and found that the walls needed papering, the woodwork to be painted, empty cupboards to be filled. As I left my friend's home, I pondered his situation. 
and telephoned a fine bishop who, together with his congregation, began a labor of love prompted by testimony. A month later, my friend Lou telephoned me and said, Come and see what has happened to me. I did. I had observed a miracle. The sidewalks, which had been uprooted by large and ancient poplar trees, had been replaced. Indeed, a new porch had been installed. The home had been painted and a new roof placed thereon. There was a new door with glistening hardware which bid me welcome. And within the home, I noted that the walls had been papered, the woodwork had been painted, and the cupboard shelves had been filled. Lou saved till last to show me his pride and joy. There on his bed was a beautiful Scotch plaid bedspread, which reminded him of his MacDonald family clan. It was a gift from the women of the Relief Society. Before leaving, I learned that the young adults came into his home every week bringing a hot meal and sharing a family home evening. Warmth had replaced coldness. Repairs had transformed the wear of years. But more significantly, hope had dispelled despair, and now love reigned triumphant. All who participated acquired a testimony of the Lord's teaching, It is better to give than to receive. I bear my testimony that the welfare plan of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is inspired of the Lord. Indeed, He is its architect. To one and all I extend a personal invitation. Come to Salt Lake City. Visit Welfare Square. Your eyes will glow a little brighter, your heart will beat a little faster, and life itself will acquire a new depth of meaning. I pray that this may be your experience, as it has been mine. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.